Right, let's move on to the reviews and we'll see whether this just keeps on going. We talked about in the showcase that we've just done about Arrow of God uh, and yeah. the unfortunate makeup issues for John Carson. I won't go into that anymore. Mm. But the Arrow of God, as I said there, it really is Simon Templar plays Poirot, isn't it? Um, th there are a couple of interesting things um, about it. And first of all, um, the gauntlet that was thrown down to the production design department um, was to say, right, this episode is set in the Caribbean. Try and make this bit of Boreham wood look like the most Caribbean place you can think of. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of scenes at an outside swimming pool um, which really is, you know, an outside swimming pool somewhere in the south of England. Um, but it looks like an outdoor swimming pool in the south of England, possibly in about March. Uh, and so everyone is is parading around um, and they, they look really cold, but they've got their swimwear on. Uh, Mr. Templar has a, a, a very fetching pair of trunks. Um but the one that appears to have upset costume designer Joyce Stoneman the most is, is Ronald Lee Hunt, um, because it's almost like she's got a personal vendetta against him about what um, she has designed him to wear. Most of the time, he, he looks like a, um, a deck chair walking around the set, a very ungainly uh, um, deck chair. Uh, so, yeah, some of the costumes, yeah, a little bit awkward. But it's, it's um, you know, fitting enough murder mystery um, from Julian Bond, who went on to write uh, The Shooting Party, uh, which is a really fascinating class um, film from the 1980s, John Gielgud and James Mason, amongst others, um, and also wrote the very strange 70s film Trial by Combat with right. um, Donald Pleasance and John Mills, who are continuing to wage in modern day UK a nightly battle. That's knights with a K. Um, very strange if you get a chance to see it. Right. Okay. I'll add that to my watch list. On the point of Ronald Lee Hunt, I've got here, obviously he's got two and a half Avengers points, <laughs> but not to be confused with William Franklin. Yes. They, they, there's, yeah, there's a similarity to them. And... There are occasions when I sort of think, no, that's not Bill Franklin. He must be off doing the Schweppes adverts. Who is this? And it's Ronald Lee Hunt. He's playing one of these kind of naughty husbands who seems to have married uh, his very ample uh, rich wife purely for her money. And his heart is set on, on a Blackburn. 43 Avengers points. About to play appropriately the goddess Juno in Jason and the Argonauts. All right, yeah. And um, possibly the last TV role she played before being cast as Kathy Gale. Now, I know that people won't be able to believe this, but she wasn't the first choice to play Kathy Gale. Do you know who was the, the preference? Right. Is this Elizabeth Shepherd? No. Elizabeth Shepherd, who may still be around, she's the the lost Mrs. Was she run over by a truck in Damien Omen too? So she's not surely. Oh, quite her eyes pecked out. Yes, there are some colour pictures of her in her costume in the uh, Town of No Return 
or is it the village of no return i should know this which is the first mrs peel episode but no this is for kathy gale apparently the first choice for steed's new partner was nari dawn porter oh as um it very bitingly says in ian ogilvy's um biography three of the worst actresses in the uk um i think she was excellent in the foresight saga because all the protecting as well um i think she was excellent in the foresight saga (laughs) (laughs) all right i'm sorry we had some difficulty coming through here yes um because having watched her in the protectors I kind of struggle to see that she would have had the same impact as Honor Blackman. She doesn't strike me as the sort of person who would break a stuntman's nose and brain a wrestler with a spade, go into the commercial break because they're shooting it as live and having to go to a costume change thinking she's killed Jackie Palo in the meantime. Wrestler? And... uh, Jackie Palo, to his credit, recovered consciousness and then went on to shoot his next scenes in Mandrake, which was the episode that, because they'd had a fight in um, a studio set graveyard and on a black man had whacked him in the head and consigned him to an open grave. (laughs) As he wasn't moving, she was quite concerned. But fortunately, he did come up and I think... He actually fought a, wrestled about in um, that night in Dover or somewhere like that. I think that that was the uh, that was the case. He was made of stern stuff, but she did get stuck in and um, knew how to throw people around. Because um, thanks to you, uh, I'm in possession of her book of self-defense. Because you spotted it in... Oh, yes. Yeah, which was um, at a charity shop in Otley, I seem to remember. In Otley. And I made the bus pilgrimage all the way uh, (laughs) to Otley. It took half a day. And I've been recommending it to all the women I know. Um, I know certain people who actually have that as their screensaver on their mobiles. There you go. You see, you not only... You've done such good works with that. You purchased it from a charity, so obviously they've benefited from that. The numbers of people that you've passed on Kathy Gale or Honor Blackman's defensive tips to, again, that's uh, um, uh, another bonus, and the fact that you've got such a bargain as well. Yes, I mean, I, I think The Avengers was probably the only show that allowed women to throw stuntmen around. And admittedly probably because it was on film and they couldn't afford Diana Rigg to wind up in hospital or casualty. Though Linda Thorson did on several occasions, she tried her own stunts and uh, and did things, is that um, Sid Child stood in for Diana Rigg and she was quite impressive. But I think The Avengers seemed to be the only show that allowed women to chuck men around. Because if you look at, uh, say, The Baron okay. and Sue Lloyd... Sue Lloyd is always immaculately turned out, but never really seems to punch anyone. And I'm trying to think, Alexandra Bastido, again, immaculately turned out. She does do a few bits of chopping and kicking things, Mm -hmm. but that tends to be sort of fairly static. 
Um, I'm trying to think of anyone else. I mean, Simon Templar's female protagonists, antagonists, don't really seem to do that much. Though I did spot, actually, there was a colour episode um, called Invitation to Danger. Uh, Why would I go there? Why would I accept that invitation, Guy? Quite. I'm not um, going to RSPV that, am I? No, he, he does seem to have been extraordinarily unwise in his um, choice of RSVPing. Oh, but, uh, except no. <laughs> but Shirley Eaton did cosh somebody, and that seemed to be the limit of, uh, of her um, martial arts activities. So we've kind of gone off point here, but... Were there enough women kicking men's butts in the 1960s? Mm. I would say no, but then a psychiatrist would probably make quite a lot out of that. <laughs> yeah, Rob, <laughs> twisting your words. <laughs> so we've also got Tony Wright, who I think, was he the... Oh, yes. Uh, his IMDb picks show that he's very good with his shirt off. He was the tennis player. Oh, right, thank you. Um, yes, yes, yeah whose most shameful act was to actually have been a tennis pro somewhere in the States for a year. So therefore he wouldn't be eligible for Wimbledon, even though he'd entered. Yes. And it, it's because he, he took, he took filthy lucre, didn't he? He took cash, cash in hand for playing tennis somewhere. Yeah. And um, I, no. I, and I know two people, one was a family member who um, he played for Reading. This was just after the war and he had to use a separate changing room. He used to use the amateur's changing room <laughs> as opposed to the, the professional's changing room. Uh, somebody I worked with who played both rugby union and while he was working on a paper in, this would be 1950s Yorkshire, he played rugby league. And so he had to be very careful about mixing with mm. um, rugby union people in case he professionalised them. Because as you know, professionalism is like monkeypox. It spreads Oh, it's terrible. It just, it, just, it just spreads. But thankfully, though, that's a Wimbledon of the past. And certainly you wouldn't get people um, not turning up for Wimbledon nowadays because of certain rules and regulations. Um, that are in place. That would never happen nowadays. No, so again, no. kind of refreshing times have changed. Right, so that, that was Tony Wright, as I said, good with his shirt off. Um, Anne Sharp, who I think played the young girl, she's got uh, no points, but she was in Three Saints as possibly a substitute for Shirley Eaton. Oh, right, but, okay. Because she is blonde and looks almost identical and they must have had about 12 people on their Rolodex. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, no, um, Shirley's busy. She's being painted gold. Let's have uh, Anne Sharp. She also had seven appearances as a recurring character called Nicola Harvester in Jason King. Oh, wow, there you go. So, you know, seven, eight years later, uh, obviously led mm. to greater things. We covered John Carson Three and a half points, two May Greys, 15 episodes of Mogul and Troubleshooters, plus Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter, and Plague of the Zombies. Plague of the Zombies. Um, the wonderfully and, and also giving me a chance to extol my own forthcoming cigar night. And I think John Carson was one of those. You mentioned um, earlier about um, 
William Franklin being the voice of Schweppes. But John Carson was um, the voice of Hamlet Cigars, the mild cigar from Benson and Hedges um, for, for ages during the 70s. This is back, um, for those of you who may not know, um, you used to be able to smoke. advertise smoke. cigarette. Oh, so we used to be able to smoke, yeah. And uh, you used to be able to, to advertise um, cigars um, and cigarettes on TV. Now, I got picked up the other day by um the minions at facebook and i got flagged up for posting up sensitive content okay and what i'd posted up to promote cigar night was a box of cigars oh right so this and is- so what they do at facebook is they blur out your picture so it looks like one of those bits at the edges of when mobile phone footage is shown on on tv news and they um they said, this is sensitive content. Please be aware. So for people to to go on and, and look at it a little bit further, um, they had to take that risk. And I bet they were wondering, what, what's he posted up? <sighs> so maybe it was the maybe it was the cigars or um, the horrible mouth that was on the front of the box. It looked like it was a close-up snap of Shane McGowan um, <laughs> kind of advertising and, you know, just like, well, don't smoke cigars. You'll, you'll end up like him. Uh, but yeah, I, I got flagged up. Yes, I feel, I've been a victim of cancel culture. That's what I've been. Oh right. Well, I mean, thankfully, that didn't exist in the days of <laughs> the yes. arrow of God yeah. and uh, and people assaying uh, different ethnicities. Elsewhere, there's the wonderfully named Alec Mango, who has two points. Brilliant. Thomas Baptiste. Uh, he doesn't have any points. Oh, right, yes. Yeah. I think he played the sergeant, um, the Caribbean sergeant in The Arrow of God. But also he was in The Ipcrest File. He was in The Ipcrest File, yes. Yeah, again, you know, thankfully one of those cases, both for a team, for a film, where, oh, wait a minute, we need um, uh, an actor of, of presumably Afro-Caribbean origin. Um, oh, let's get an actor of Afro-Caribbean origin. Yes, I think it would have been very difficult to get away with that in a major feature film if he did ask somebody to get out the burnt cork. Um, so, yes, there is also... I'm trying to think, um, who else would there have been around? Johnny Secco, he, he was in The Human Jungle. Secco, Earl Cameron. Yeah, uh, Earl Cameron, who lived yeah, and was until quite still recently. Going strong. He was in, um, yeah, he was in The Interpreter with... Um, Sean Penn and Nicole Kidman. There were people around. I can't emphasize that enough. And uh, there should have been shows which gave them a bigger profile. Pearl Prescott, who played the maid, who does You're the Famous Simon Templar bit um, (laughs) at his hotel. Uh, No points, but four appearances in Danger Man. And sadly, she may have... Had more had she not died at the tragically early age of forty six, um, in nineteen sixty six. Which is one of those people you sort of think, oh right, yes, I'm sure I've seen her before, but I mean, actually, you know, far too young. And there's someone called Ken McGregor who has no points but two appearances in the first series of The Saint. As I said before, there's only twelve episodes in the first series of The Saint. And there's a lot of people who come back as different characters. Um, it's economy of scale. For all I know, it could have been a closed set and they were locked in there forever. 
and it was like rep. <laughs> Here's your new script, learn it. The next episode that we'll move on to is The Pearls of Peace. Basically, one of Simon Templar's friends, uh, it's, it's not good to be a friend of Simon Templar. You wind up no, dead. It, it's, um, big. it's a big risk. Disabled or you go to the bad. It's a bit like being Angela Lansby's friend in Murder, She Wrote. You want to be that or, or a partner to Dirty Harry um, <laughs> in one of the, the Dirty Harry features. Working with Inspector Callahan, Paul, but he knows no rules. Oh, you'll be fine. Uh, and you know they're not going to make it to the end credits crawl. Um, but yeah, Pearls of Peace um, is, is a very strange episode because it's flashback. Um, and and Simon is mainly just sat in his, his New York apartment just telling the story of what happens. And um, the, the, there is this idea of that these, these lost pearl beds off the coast of Mexico. And he invests in a scheme um, for his um, friend who's, who's got a business partner um, to to go over there. Um, it all goes pear-shaped. It doesn't go um, very, very well. And his his friend um, is involved with a fight. His, his partner double-crosses him. And then he goes blind. Um, and his former girlfriend wants him tracked down because she's after the money that uh, um, she invested. Um, and I know we have to take into account inflation um, and everything like that, but the, the whole big Megillah sets into operation because this woman wants $500 back. Um, which doesn't sound like anything nowadays. Sounds like loose change. You know, you can think, oh, I've lost it down the back of the sofa. What am I going to do with it? Um, there are some interesting uh, uh, things in this. Obviously, it highlights um, accidents in fights. You know, if you are always having, you know, a fist fight with someone, um, keep away from perhaps skirting boards or radiators um, or, or the edges of fireplaces. Because, um, you know, providing you're pummeling someone's jaw, you wouldn't want a real bad accident to happen and um, for them to to fall and, and hit their head on a radiator and, and then they're a goner. I mean, if we're talking about um, pretend fighting, I mean, hopefully there would have been things like plaster steps or rubber steps. Yes, um, yeah, which, which is a thing which is used in... Um, big bucks Hollywood um, Hollywood films about kind of like um, like soft furnishings. Um, use them a lot in Mission Impossible films, apparently. Oh right. Uh, right. Yeah, so, um, so as long as you're not fighting on a Blackman. Yeah, um, and uh, you know it's not like a big room full of radiators or fireplaces, um, or or something like. Oh no, you you don't just clear everything away to the edges of the room, and then you can have your your fight with your with your fists and, and a breakaway chair. Um, but yeah, don't, don't do it. So there's, there's not enough room and, you know, there's an actual risk of injury, yes. which would be, which would be a horrible thing to have happen. Sounds just like boarding school. Mm. Right. So pearls of peace. There's also the, the, the story where the woman who takes um, Simon Templar's blind friend in. Um, yes. Is a handsome looking woman, I would say. But she keeps right emphasising that... Commit, yeah, she commits the unpardonable sin um, because there's this worry about if he regains her sight, you know, regains his sight and sees her for the first time. Um, because at the time, if you go by the actress's actual age, um, um, Dina Paisner, um, she was 43. Who'd want to go out with a 43-year-old, I ask you? So, yeah, there's that, there's that big stigma 
of um, or maybe I'm maybe I'm not glamorous enough. But but thankfully, the saint kind of helps them see through these things. The odd is quite beneficial in it. He's he's, he's almost like um, a, a little bit of a guardian angel. Um, there's no, he doesn't hold a gun on anyone. It doesn't get into fist fights. Um, he does go into um, a place called um, Cantina de la Flores, um, which is like a Mexican equivalent of the slaughtered lamb. Um, and there is, there looks like there's going to be a little bit of a set to, because everyone looks really, really menacing. But then it's all resolved, um, which does highlight one of my one of my film and TV tropes: most pubs and bars in films or TV, you would never want to go into. No. They're all rubbish. They're rubbish. They're horrible. Something nasty is going to happen there. Uh, and you think, no, what? No. And heaven forfend that you should actually go into the toilet of one because oh, good. nothing good no. ever happens in a toilet on uh, a TV or film. I think they, they, they did, a, they did a, um, a survey of toilets in Hollywood films one time, and it, it was toilets are normally used either for a murder um, or a drug deal to take place. You yes. usually that no one actually goes to the toilet mainly because they're in such a horrible bar. Those toilets look unclean. But they've run out of hand sanitizer. Yes, they have. They have, and don't even ask for spare paper towels. Um, let's have a look at the rest of the cast. John Barrard uh, has one point, but I'm afraid it's for fog in the last series of the Avengers. And Very cool. I, I, Very cool indeed. it's quite possibly the worst episode of the Avengers. <laughs> it's, there, there are three hey, that vie for that title. It. You're meant to be a fan. Yeah, I am. But there, there are kind of three episodes that vie for that title and Fog is one of them. Um, and in fact, I, I, when I watched it again recently, I had to re-rank them and it came bottom. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, then there's somebody called uh, Frank Oligario, who has one point, and that's for Immortal Clay, uh, which is a Cathy Gale episode, and it's set in a factory in the Potteries, so therefore one of the five towns, and Stoke-on-Trent, uh, where they've invented porcelain that you can't break. Uh, and they prove this by hurling a melamine cup to the floor, and it bounces. Uh and uh, so I can't remember what uh, who he actually played. Paul Berardi has one point uh, within a career of uncredited credits. Stephen Scott, four points, two of which, Second Sight and Split, are available on DVD. Jim O'Brady, one point in Man Eater of Surrey Green. I think he gets uh, eaten by the plant. Eaten, eaten near Surrey Green. Um, my favourite little cast member in Pearls of Peace um, is Hugh Futcher, who plays the delivery boy and has the line at the beginning, well, it's not every day you deliver something to Simon, uh, Simon Temple of the Saint. Um, and viewers, listeners, I don't know what to call them, um, may remember um, him from Quatermass in the Pit. Right. As one of the soldiers who gets, who gets really scared um, and uh, Barbara Shelley begins to question him. And there's a really haunting line where he just turns around and says, here, miss, what made you say that? Um, and it's really unsettling. 
but yeah, he, he's just like the delivery boy at the beginning. And I think they may have, the Saint may have missed a trick. Um, I think they should have got big names to do those little lead-in times. You know, to say, hey, it's not every day that you meet the Saint. Um, you know, you could have had popular people of the day. You could have had footballers, tennis players, boxers. Um, all of those kinds of people who would have said that line. Yes, John Profumo. Um, yes. Hugh Futcher, uh, no points, but uh, he also appeared in Sergeant Cork um, and Orlando. That's the Sam Kidd Orlando, not the... Not the Sally Potter one. Not the Sally Potter one. Um, and apparently is still working. Um, yeah, yeah, still is, yeah. So, uh, because he was obviously quite young when he delivered that telegram. Who else have we got? Zarena Osborne, one point, and Amegre, both as a named character, which I think is quite important for your CV. Austin Cooper, now there's a name that you're going to remember. <laughs> so I think my brother used to drive an Austin Cooper. Yes. In yeah, um, the early 70s, it was a second-hand one. Yes, and it wouldn't have had any points, but it did have 21 uncredited appearances in The Saint, plus Danger Man and The Baron. And we are going to keep coming back to him. Arthur Goodman, no points, but 48 appearances in The Saint and seven episodes of The Champions. Oh, wow. Quite often as Man in Bar, I think. <laughs> There's uh, a certain type of actor that, that needs to do those parts. Yeah, I, I think he... Bring realism to the screen. He probably actually had um, uh, a camp bed at Elstree. Written by Richard Harris, uh, who has five Avengers writing credits. And obviously, as we mentioned on an, on, on an earlier show, did um, uh, stage play Stepping Out and Outside Edge as well. Indeed. Now, The Pearls of Peace, uh, and we will return to this, I think this is the first instance in These Saints of a necklace getting switched. I don't want to put any oh, small... Oh, but wait a minute. I saw one on Sunday where a necklace gets switched. Uh, and if you watch the colour episodes, I think you'll find that there are several where <laughs> necklaces get switched. Keep track of them all. Right, so that's the Pearls of Peace. The Element of Doubt. Um, instead of playing Poirot, Simon Templer plays Perry Mason. Um, now, this is um, one of the, it's, it's set in New York when there's all kinds of shenanigans going on, and there's a crooked lawyer played by David Bauer. Um, um, and David Bauer once had that very um, odd job. Someone, someone must have picked this up because he used to provide the opening narration for the champions. But then in the same series, he's actually a villain. And you just go, wait a minute. Why doesn't he know about the champions? Because he, he told us at the beginning, the same voice, it's the same guy. Um, yeah, people may remember him. He's in Diamonds, um, Diamonds Are Forever. He plays the head of the um, all the funeral home. But yes, it's, it's all legal eagle stuff. He's appeared in the Avengers with the Kathy Gale episode, which is the Little Wonders, I think. So he's got two points, five Saints, one Sergeant Cork, and one Maygray, plus all his voiceover work. Um, he's probably connected with Thunderbirds, isn't he? Uh, I would like to think so. Um, oddly enough, Element of Doubt also features a second blind character. Again, 
because it's the it's the little old lady who's the sole witness to to the horrible crimes. Yes, and she's probably got detached retinas as well because there's of that. spate of it. Yeah, there's lots of trickery, and um, but the key turning point uh, of that is when the famous Simon Templar makes himself unrecognisable by putting on a pair of glasses and adopting a southern, every time. A southern states American accent. A quite plausible um, accent, it seemed to me. Yeah, works every time. They're putting glasses on. Um, you know, this is a good private eye tradition. Um, goes back to the big sleep. Um, Humphrey Bogart um, to disguise himself. He turned up his, his hat, hat as well, on at the and and a pair of glasses, and it's just like he's unrecognisable. Who was that guy in the shop? Um, and, and that's something that goes way into the future because um, I think uh, Harrison Ford does it in Blade Runner. He, yes. he just puts on a pair of glasses and suddenly, hey, wait a minute, he's not a Blade Runner anymore. He's just a guy in glasses. He's a nerdy guy. That's. What, I think that is actually a homage to the Humphrey Bogart scene in The Big Sleep, isn't it? Ah, there you go. There you go. But yeah, it's yeah. Just put on a pair of glasses. Yes. Put on a pair of glasses. With me, I have to take my glasses off, and then no one recognises me. But I can't see Absolutely, a damn thing. Yeah. Um, it's it's like again one of my favourite movie tropes is um, director perhaps having a large arc in terms of going through um, experiences and stuff like that. It's where their eyes get better as well um kate winslet character in um in enigma um starts off with a pair of um glasses that make her look like bingo from the rupert bear annuals and um at the end because she's found love she's fine her eyes have just gone back to normal like that see that's um that's the reverse of the thing that a lot of people are complaining about with bond movies that all the villains have some physical disability which kind of goes back to Dickens and Shakespeare and Chaucer mm. and stuff like that, where the inner badness is um, is manifested by the external one. So, because um, in one of the recent books, one of the recent books, I think is it is it the one by Sebastian Falks where, um, and I did giggle when I was reading it, where the villain has a monkey arm. Oh, what's that? I don't know what I don't know whether there's a medical term for it, but yeah, he has a monkey arm, um, and there's a, there's a bit where they have a robust game of tennis, um, and I, I can't remember whether he does use his holds his racket with his monkey arm or not, but yeah, he's got like a a, a monkey arm. Right, or well, maybe it's kind of longer than a normal arm and gives him an unfair advantage when it comes to ball games. <laughs> um, could be, yeah. Yes, that's intriguing. Bill Nodge, as we now know how to pronounce it, one point, <laughs> but he's on his second appearance in this series of The Saint and playing another villain. Uh, <sighs> Alistair Williamson um, has three points, including the first ever two episodes of The Avengers, which is <sighs> hot snow and brought to book. Paul Berardi again, 16 episodes of The Saint, one point and the career of uncredited credits. Um, and Sarah Brackett, who I think plays another insurance agent who just has to be blonde and not do anything. She has no points, but appeared in 10 episodes of Counter-Strike at the end of the 60s. Do you remember Counter-Strike? Oh, no. Um, oh, I'd have been tucked up in bed by then. Yeah, I, I think it's, if it's the one I'm thinking of. It's the one with John Finch, who is an alien, where all the aliens look like John Finch. 
um, and he's been sent to Earth to stop other aliens taking it over because it's of uh, strategic importance. Um, and I seem to remember that there was one episode that they actually didn't show, and I can't remember if it was to do with... Is it terrifying? Um, no, it's it was probably um, around the time of a general election and probably would have swung the results one way or the other. That's, that's what they tended Particularly to do. Particularly if an alien was on the, um, on the ballot paper, I would imagine. That, that, that's right. So I think that kind of wraps up the element of doubt where the crooked lawyer gets his comeuppance. Um, I think he gets shot, doesn't he? Bye. Yes, he on it's uh, um, yes because he his name then goes uh, um, it's the guy who he got off is the murderer so he, he's going to get tried on another murder rap. <laughs> yes. Who's laughing now? Certainly not Bill Nodge, even if we aren't no. pronouncing his, his name properly. Right. <laughs> so let's go to the Effete Angler. We're back in Miami, I think. Um, yes, we are. Yeah. Now, certainly uh, everyone's got their shorts on. Now, I had to look this up um, because my gulf of Mexico Caribbean geography is not particularly great. Where Miami is related to Nassau and why you have a British inspector in Nassau because it's a colony um, mm. and Miami and it starts off in Miami. Anyway, the Afita Angler which is all to do with smuggling. Uh, I'll run through the cast first. George Pravda, one point, one Maigret. Now, Paul Stasino, one point, uh, which is a Cathy Gale episode, and it's called The Decapod, about a Middle Eastern dictator who likes to dress up in a mask and do all in wrestling. Oh, right, wow. Um, he's, in, um, uh, he's in Thunderball as well, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he was absolutely all over the place. He would have been a dead cinch to play Tony Valletta in Snack Squad, had it that part <laughs> not already been taken. Uh, he appeared in Five Saints, uh, Two Jason Kings, Jack Gwillem, One Point, Two Sergeant Corks, plus King Aetes in Jason and the Argonauts. And, um, and he's in uh, Clash of the Titans as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, the thing about you, he's one of these guys with an aristocratic profile. I think he had a long career in the Navy and then became an actor, did a lot of stuff playing high-ranking service personnel. So if you wanted a field marshal uh, or um, an air marshal or a commander or an admiral, then uh, Jack Willem was your he man. He was your go-to guy. Yeah, Um Roy Lansford, one and a half points, plus 13 Saints. Ken McGregor, no points, second appearance in Series 1 of The Saints. Patrick McElhinney, no points, but a TV stalwart. Now, he's the Irish guy. Now, th 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 let's get into the plot of this. Simon Templer is introduced by his friend in the US Coast Guard to Patsy, the Irishman, mm -hmm. who has a boat, but Templar can't hire the boat because it's been hired for the month by Shirley Eaton and her husband, George Pravda, and the evil henchman, Paul Stasino. And it's quite strange because they're based, seem to be based in Nassau and they don't seem to be doing any fishing. 
and Simon Templar surely even takes quite a shine to him. Mm. But I suspect that actually she's playing with his affections. <sighs> Obviously, her husband, George Pravda, um, is a lot older. They live in Monaco. I don't know why they're in Nassau. And they appear to be doing something. And Simon Templer works out that it could be either drugs or jewellery because they have to be smuggling something out to the United States. And it has to be small enough to be in a rotting frozen fish. And I was going to say, what can they smuggle it in? What what device can possibly cloak um, their contraband that there? And it does turn out to be a rotten fish. Um, Paul Stasino's character uh, attempts to kill Simon Templer, but using the original never method never of he sneaks into Templer's hideaway bedroom at night and under the blanket there is a shape and he puts three bullets into the shape before being punched out by Simon Templer uh, and the police are summoned and I don't I can't think of a single instance where that has been done before <laughs> is, is it better that is it better because uh, um, obviously advice is maybe to wake up your victim that it's not simply pillows in the bed. Yeah, so at least... Just them. wake up your victim, for, or just pull the covers down a bit, and you just go, oh, bloody hell, it's, it's just a land of Dunelm pillows. What's going on? Oh, it's Where is he? Um, yes, al always check. Yes. Um, always, um, henchman's guide, always check that your victim actually is in bed. So Paul Stastino is taking the way... Uh, Simon Templer then sends the inspector off to arrest the husband, George Pravda, who is then questioned on conspiracy to murder. Shirley Eaton go, runs away to the boat, instructs Patsy to start the boat off because that's 24-hour, seven days a week rental. And then halfway to Miami, Simon Templer appears out of some kind of bilge cupboard. <laughs> does, yeah. Where have you been hiding? None of your business, he says. Yes. Um, and I think possibly smoothing his immaculate hair down again. Mm. And then it turns out that um, Patsy has been in on it all along. And he's a wrong un. He's a wrong un. So he's got two people on the boat. Patsy's driving the boat. They're speeding towards Miami. And Simon Templer may have the gun, but I would say that the odds are not necessarily in his favour. Um, but Shirley Eaton probably so bad this time. Uh, she gets bad in one of the later colour ones. And that about wraps it up for um, the smuggling in the Effete Angler. Well, it's, uh, the writer was Norman Borisov. Uh, that was two in a row because he did the doubt. Um, but if you watch this, or for anyone who watches this, do not play the drinking game in this episode. Oh, no. Because an inordinate amount of fake alcohol is consumed. And if you were to try to match that with real alcohol, you'd probably be in casualty. Oh, no. God, you wouldn't fare well at all. No, don't do that. Right. Last Sunday's episode, The Charitable Countess. 
Nigel Davenport, two points. Split and the Danger Makers uh, and two Saints. Warren Mitchell has four points and his second appearance is cab driver Marco de Cesare. He was obviously a favourite with Gerald Kelsey and Dick Sharples, the scriptwriters, because they introduced the character in The Latin Touch. Uh, and then Anthony Newlands, two points, three Saints and 32 episodes of Crime of Passion. Do you remember Crime of Passion? No, um, no, but he plays in, in the same, does he play Father Bellini? Yes. Um, who, who's um, a very noble priest named after a cocktail. And the idea is that he runs a an orphanage or um, one that looks after um, the little the little pirates of, of the street as they're labelled. And um, the saint gets involved in helping out the kids, just, just like an Italian Fagin's gang running around and stealing things but it turns out that maybe the bigger thief is actually the countess herself who seems to be on some kind of fiddle that's right that she's actually quite an interesting character because there's, there's quite a lot of nice banter between her and simon mm-hmm. templer and you can almost regret that she might not be a recurring character every time he goes to rome but obviously probably not available just returning to Anthony Newlands, who played the priest, uh, in Crime of Passion, uh, the 32 episodes, he was president of the court because this is all about the French legal system and whether people could get away with homicide if it was a crime of passion. And that was a thing, apparently, in France. I think it's actually wherever the Napoleonic Code existed, people could get away with uh, crimes of passion. To be honest, I suspect it was a kind of a get-out-of-jail clause for men who killed their female partners so Othello would have been well in the clear uh, if, Desdemona, oh, right, okay. if Desdemona had taken out Othello I think she might have struggled oh um, no so it's literally really... getting off and then getting off is what you're saying is more or less kind of the way the series was was pitched I well I, I, I think to be honest some of the defendants I don't really remember it that much I remember people talking about it at school that's some of the defendants were women, and so they may well have uh, have got off. How you define a crime of passion, I don't know. I recommend that people consult Wikipedia and a lawyer. Mm. Um, he was also in One Doom Watch, The Web of Fear, which was all about spiders going a bit crazy, One Maygrey, and in a movie from 1966 called Psycho Circus. Now, that's a... T- I'd, I'd go and see that. Was it like a... A circus for psychos, or how's how's it work? I'm intrigued, but I go and see it because it has the dream pairing, and I think this was unrepeated, of Klaus Kinski and Nosha Powell. Good mix. It certainly would be. I mean, you know, why that didn't get an Oscar nomination, I don't know. Anthony Jacobs, who played the police chief, had no points but two Maygrays. Mary Burke. Two half-up Danger Mans. It's her second appearance this series, and she played a different character in the Latin Touch, where she played the evil gangster's mother, who disowned them for being evil gangsters. So, but she has that sort of Mediterranean, slightly worn but haughty look. Uh, so she had range. Irene Parador, no points, but one Doom Watch, which was called the Logicians and two danger mans, and a maigre. Now, do you remember the man who played the Count who was deaf as a post? 
Oh, right. Yes. Yes. He is um, a light comic relief. And at the end of the robbery, when um, yet another necklace is swapped, he gives a spontaneous round of applause after he's woken up. Do you know who played him? Uh, I don't. Right. Does the name Rietti ring a bell? Oh, it's not Robert Rietti, is it? The, no. The Mr. Voice. <laughs> no, it is, in fact, Robert Rietti's that- father. <clears throat> so I've got, got him. Um, actually, it was possibly his last TV appearance because it, uh, I think he died that year or the year after. Victor Rietti, no points, but father of the legendary Robert Rietti, one and a half points, who for decades was the go-to man to provide voices and dialogue replacement, not unlike a certain David Newell. <laughs> um, yeah, Robert Rietti, it's always you, whenever you're reading something about um a film or tv series you always see so-and-so's voice was dubbed by robert rietti another one who's uh, perhaps not as successful um but again would be a, um, a go-to person would be david de kaiser oh yes um now i i can get them mixed up because they did make occasional screen appearances didn't they i think they were in a film together but they dubbed each other's voices <laughs> it's quite which possible. Would be doubly confusing <laughs> Doubly confusing. Yes, yeah, so that is a bit of Anglo-Italian movie heritage. Victor Rietti, whose other son was a film director. Uh, oh, right, OK. Um, directed about half a dozen movies, I think. Then we've got Neville Becker, no points, but one Maigret, including the best Adamant episode, which was Sweet Smell of Disaster, which could almost have been an Avengers episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, and three danger mans Hugo de Vernier who played the butler has one point and uh, Arthur Goodman again 48 episodes of The Saint Patrick Halpin two points plus appearances in Danger Man Interpol Calling and The Invisible Man Alan Meacham three points and 21 Saints did I mention Jack Arrow the wonderfully named Jack Arrow one point 22 episodes name. of The Saint it is isn't it uh, Billy Dean, no points, but 10 saints. Now, you mentioned the Fagin's Kitchen thing. Yeah, like a big Fagin's mob. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I started thinking there's an awful lot of Dickens in this, particularly when he brought the children in. And I thought, mm. is this a Christmas episode? <laughs> and I looked it up on IMDb and it was broadcast on December the 20th, 1962. Oh, how lovely. Yes. A lovely, a warm kind of like humanity-based message around that. Yes, that's delightful. The only thing it lacked was mistletoe uh, and somebody saying... Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> a lot of Victorian stuff. It's like scrubbing the young... Scrubbing those dirty urchins clean. That, that's right. So it's almost like the Water Babies, which is not Dickens, but um, Charles Kingsley. And then he got remarkably dirty again in the same rags when he went back to their den of thieves, mm. which makes me think that possibly they just shot all that out of sequence. And that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was the same thing because all the children were uniformly grubby. Yes, oh, they're filthy. 
yeah. filthy. And quite how they got that filthy, I don't know. But anyway, Father Bellini presumably sorted them out and they uh, all found honest trades. Um, again, you were talking before about vehicles um, and you were saying about Warren Mitchell. He's a taxi driver and he has one of the tiniest taxis in Rome. Now, um, if Orson Welles had have been stuck in that, again, he wouldn't have been able to make dinner. It's only a time. Looks like one of those little Daihatsu vans that you could push over. If he did get stuck in that, they'd have probably had to take a chainsaw to it or a tin opener or something. Yeah. Like it. Um, in fact, I noticed Roger Moore seemed to struggle getting out of it. Yes. And, and therefore, the threat a little bit later on when they run down one of the street urchins um, isn't really that much of a threat if you're getting like, knocked down by a big dinky toy. Uh, it's now would it wouldn't have mattered to them. Now it's a bit like you know a two CV hitting a moth. It's the two CV yeah. that comes off worst. And as you said before, this is at least the second appearance of a necklace that gets swapped. Yes, it does does get swapped. He spotted it rather than it necessarily gets swapped. So the charitable countess has to replace it with the real one. The fact that Simon Templer holds a press conference announcing that he's going to steal the necklace for charity. <laughs> I would have thought, well, that must be splashed right across the world. If somebody just took that newspaper photo and drew specs on him, they wouldn't be fooled for a second, would they? No, not for a foot. No, ah, just like, ah. You know what looks like that guy in the paper? Does. You know that, that, that southern-accented guy who came in doing that story yeah it looked like that guy in the paper no it can't be the same bloke can't be the same bloke so there we are i think we've uh, we've covered all the saints up to date i have been watching the color ones i think what the plan is that we actually do these in order and because they're on continuous rotation on itv4 we just pick them up again just yeah just catch up with them we could also touch on various things like may gray but i'm not quite sure we've got time and i'm not quite sure whether zoom will um give us the time and, and hey i and i need to catch up with brooklyn 99 it's the last series oh well, well I, I won't stop you so this has been a soundstage north production my co-host has been dave newell i'm guy morgan this is the review show currently reviewing the saint unspooling as dave would say on talking pictures television and uh, we hope to keep up with them Amongst other things, I'm just trying to think, what else are they showing? That is, oh, yes, The Outer Limits. I was going to say something the about Outer The Limit, Outer Limits. Uh, and um, during the summer, for fans of Public Eye, which they're also screening mm. with um, Alfred Burke, you can go on a Frank Marker summer walk, where you go around Windsor, looking at the various locations using the series, and you also get a Frank Marker packed lunch. Do you get to boil your own tea on a gas ring? Um, I think that is provided for you because you do get a souvenir mug. Right. Um, but anyway, yes, Talking Pictures Television. And if you want to look at various things, you can watch the last episode of The Saint by signing up to Talking Pictures TV Encore. So that's mm. enough plugs. Uh, and then I might send a link to this podcast to them. Yeah, see what Neil Cronin and the team says. Yes, anything positive, but please not a restraining order. Right, thank you very much, Dave. We'll take it from there. <laughs> see you later. All right, see you in a bit. Bye. Bye.